Here's the Smart Retirement Cast brought to you by Smart Retirement Media. Now, here's your hosts, Mike and Matt. Welcome back, listeners, for another great episode of the Smart Retirement Podcast. This is your co-host, Matt Hollander, joined with my fabulous co-host, Mike Points. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. Listeners, wanted to wish you a very happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy That's Hanukkah. right. That's right. It's the holiday season. It's the holiday season. With the whoop-dee-doo, the hickory duck, and don't forget to hang up your sock. <laughs> That's right, Andrew Williams, the great Andrew Williams. Happy holidays, everyone. What a great way to end our year um, and um, get this out right before Christmas. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Mike, you got any big plans for the holidays? Yeah, I'm heading to the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee to visit my wonderful family that lives in Knoxville. Um, my two nephews, Caleb and David, are are um, great ages, four and nine years old. And so we're going to go to the snow for a couple days in the Smokies and just hang out for a week. One of those weeks where you you know, wake up every morning and, you know, after you have coffee, figure out what you're going to do. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, How about you, sir? That sounds a lot more exciting than what I'm doing. I'm going to stay here local. Uh, Most of the family's here, so just kind of get everyone together. Uh, I've gotten the permission to cook the rib roast for this holiday, so Mm. we're going – I'm going to put it on my Traeger. I don't know if you've ever seen a Traeger grill, Mike, but they're like these pellet smokers, and I'll put that rib roast on there for eight to ten hours, and the thing's just going to be super tender. I mean, just because I'm singing a Christmas song from the 50s does not mean that I have not seen a trigger. Very good. <laughs> no, that'll be great. So that is, I know you love to do that stuff. That's like your your quiet hobby is cooking. Absolutely. Um, every time we hang out, we end up doing that instead of going out to eat. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. We end up having a lot more fun sometimes, I think. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, so that's cool. I mean, a relaxing holiday is a worthwhile holiday because, um, man, this month is – this year has flown by. Um, you know, we record this uh, before we post it, so we're right about the middle of the month. So we're right in the heart of – Getting the presents out to the family, uh, getting them under the tree, trying to get them wrapped, trying to get the end of the year stuff done, and trying to think about what we've got to do in 2020, get that planned out as well. So it's it's a it's not a bad thing to sit down with a cup of eggnog and a small bit of brandy in it and have yourself <laughs> a Merry Christmas. So good for you. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be good. So. Anyways, let's uh, go ahead and get our show started for the day, Mr. Mike. Yeah. Um, As we always do, I'd like to field a couple questions to start off the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, listeners, thank you for writing in and making the first segment of the show so important. I think a lot of people actually tune in just for some of these questions because they realize that, you know, they've their question isn't as silly as it may think come over in their head. Uh, You know, no question in my opinion feeling. I think we remember this from being in school, but no question is a bad question. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure there's other people that have similar questions to you. So keep them coming in. Info at smartretirementcast.com. Again, that's info 
at smartretirementcast.com. It can be a real short question. It can be a real drawn out question. Uh, we'll happily get back to you and respond to that. So without further ado, Mike, I've got one for you. And okay. it's Gloria from Santa Clara, California. All right. Near my hometown. Yeah. So let's see. Gloria says she's ready. Uh, she's getting ready to sell one of her rental properties that they've had for, it sounds like many, many years. She didn't say exactly how many years. Okay. Um, they don't want to, they don't want to any longer manage the properties and they want to have assets liquid for their children. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, however, they still want to receive return on the money, some type of income, uh, but they want it liquid. You know, just in the event that her husband and her need to access the funds later on in their lives, uh, you know, what should they do? They've got a $400,000 mortgage. The house is worth uh, $1.35 in Santa Clara. And they it sounds like they want to age in place. So they're, they're not going anywhere. Okay. Yeah. That's a great scenario, Gloria. Thanks for setting that up for us. Um, you know, many times you get to that age where you realize that dealing with tenants and termites and turnover is no longer worth it for owning real estate. And um, so I, I tip my cap to you for taking that into consideration. Obviously, there's going to be some taxation paid and due and paid on that sale. Um, when you sell a rental property that you have owned for a long time, you'll have a capital gains tax. Um, we won't go into cost basis and capital gains calculations, but prepare for the tax, Gloria. As far as what you should do, I mean, I think Matt, you and I both could answer this question differently. Um, what I would do with a $400,000 mortgage is, is help you understand, okay, you want some liquidity, um, but you also want some income and you want some return. So we would break down, you know, what your current mortgage is, what the rate that you're paying on interest is for that bank and try to convert that into uh, money that you'd be saving otherwise. So for example, if you're, if you're paying a bank, let's just say $1,500 a month in a mortgage payment, but $900 of that is interest and 600 of that is principal by paying that loan off, you're saving $900 a month in expenses that you wouldn't normally have. Now, if you just pay off a house and you don't have a mortgage on it, you've saved yourself $1,500 a month, but you've hurt yourself in the liquidity market because now in order to get that money back that you just put in, the 400000 to pay off that loan, Gloria, you're going to need to qualify for a mortgage that gives you access to funds. Um in a very beautiful way, reverse mortgage can help you take care of both these things. You would accrue some interest still on an outstanding balance, but if you paid off the mortgage in full, but gave yourself rights to the equity of your home that you could access later in life, you would allow yourself the possibility of no longer having a payment, giving yourself some income, because without the liability, you've freed up $1,400 a month. I think that's suitable income, you and I could evaluate how much income you need. And then the other thing you do is give yourself access to the funds over the length of your lifetime, as long as you live in that property for six months out of the year. So you could protect you and your husband from things like 
health insurance costs, um, maybe maintenance that the house requires as it ages, maybe as you need to prep your home for disability needs, such as handrails and ways to get in and out of the tub or um, use the bathroom more appropriately. Uh, these funds could be used through the equity of the home. Um, Matt, I'm not really in the return on money market, but uh, that's how I would approach it. I know I would get your two cents on, you know, liquidating. Let's say this house is seven hundred thousand dollars that she's selling in the Bay Area, which is quite frankly a, a cheap home in the Bay Area, right. and and she's going to have. Let's assume that Gloria has the mortgage paid off because she didn't mention that, so she's going to have, you know. Anywhere between, let's just say, eighty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in taxes, and she'd have five hundred and fifty thousand dollars sitting in her hand. What would you recommend for her? So I think this could be worked a couple different ways. Um, your reverse mortgage idea, I think, makes a lot of sense, but I think that's going to bring up, especially if we've got heirs that are hoping to, you know, inherit that money. You know, most people's first thing is, oh, well, we don't want to do a reverse mortgage because the kids aren't going to get any of the funds. And, mm. you know, I hear that so often, but there's so many other ways to pass on uh, these types of valuables, whether it be homes, retirement accounts, et cetera. And that's actually one of the things that we're going to be talking about in today's show a little bit. But I think in this scenario, it might make sense to look into the reverse mortgage, free up that mortgage payment, have that as income now. And then maybe look at doing, depending on what your health looks like, Gloria, is either looking at uh, some type of tax-deferred or tax-free tax -free type of investment uh, that would either avoid you paying tax now on any growth on the funds, or maybe even being able to hand it off to the kids in a tax-free situation. Uh, you know, Right now, we're in a scenario in the tax, with our tax brackets, they're the lowest really they've ever been. And it makes sense to go ahead and pay the tax on these types of things now rather than putting it off yeah. for later on for the for your heirs to do. So, you know, pay the tax on the money, do the reverse mortgage, free up some cash, and then maybe even look into doing like a life insurance type of policy where it's a single premium. Uh, you don't lose the funds. I mean, you could still technically have access to them. You could borrow them back out if you needed to. But then we're going to take that, you know, say three hundred grand, and turn it into a four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar death benefit that later on is then going to be passed on to your beneficiaries, one hundred percent tax free, right. without any type of probate issues or anything. I mean, where they say it goes, it goes. So, I think that would probably be one of the scenarios. Again, you know, it's hard not having all the details on this without really sitting down and creating a plan on it, but. You know, depending on where your income is and things now, I think there's definitely a few different ways. But I think the life insurance conversation, uh, should you be healthy enough to have that conversation, would be one to definitely go up towards the top of the books just for the tax uh, liability that could be incurred to the kids off of these properties. Yeah, many avenues to go on that, Gloria, which is why I think it's good you wrote us in the question. Um, we'd be happy to talk with you individually and independently offline. So, um, you know, we've responded to your email already, but if you um, are hearing this and want to get in touch with us, 866-53-RETIRE. Option one is for Mr. Matt Hollander. Option two would be for Mike Points, um, your lender on this um, podcast. So um, let's go on to the next question, Matt. Let's go. Um, you want to ask, yeah, ask this? Yeah, I'll ask this go one. I got Stephen from Bozeman, Montana, um, says... He, he makes 
too much money to contribute to a Roth IRA. Yeah, we've heard this before, a Roth IRA, and wants to know what other options he may have. Great question. I'm sure it's nice and cold up in Bozeman, Montana. I'm sure the snow is uh, quite nice. That's actually one of the places I'm thinking of going uh, in February for a little ski. Is that where the Tetons are? The Tetons are, are they in Wyoming? Pop quiz. Pop quiz. You're going to have to do a little Google research. I'll get back to you after the break. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's answer Stephen's question first. Um, Stephen, I know this question's kind of came up before in the show. Uh, getting a little bit more specific, I think a lot of the listeners do understand what a Roth IRA is. Uh, basically, you're putting the money in after you've already paid tax on it. It grows tax-free, and when you take it out, it's tax-free. Uh, there are income limitations to these things. So if you're making over... Uh, it's uh, right now, I think it's like 180 and change, uh, for that limitation a year, you're going to have some issues trying to contribute to a Roth. So what other options do you have? Uh, well, we can be looking at a couple different things, depending on what type of return you're looking for, you know, municipal bonds and things have always been a, a good tax free go to, but with the bond market, the way that it is, I don't know that that's really the avenue that I'm going to be looking into to run and put safe money per se. So if you're somebody that wants to have this as kind of more of a safe money type of an investment, really just trying to pass it on to your heirs uh, and avoid paying tax on it now, going back to actually what I was just talking about for Gloria's scenario with utilizing life insurance, you know, if you're somewhere between the ages of 60 and 85, let's say, you can probably get into this without as long as you don't have any major, major health concerns, um, to where you can put money into these things, it grows um, either tax deferred or tax free. And the reason I say that it just kind of depends on how much money goes into this policy right up at the beginning. Uh, the IRS looks at that and kind of frowns upon if we're front loading life insurance. They'll say it's what's called a modified endowment contract, but it gets it away from where you're getting having to pay a 1099 every year. So it's more of a tax deferred investment. But when the beneficiaries do receive that death benefit later on, they will get it tax-free. So that might be your best option, Stephen. Uh, again, if you're wanting something with a little bit better returns than your municipal bond market, I would strongly suggest looking into something like that uh, if it's of interest to you. Uh, I did already respond to your email as well, but I'd be happy to run a quote for you and kind of show you what that looks like. So, Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, Great. with that... Um, Today's show, we're going to talk about the greatest wealth transfer in history. Uh, you know, we're in a scenario right now, all these baby boomers are, you know, retiring and we've got $30 trillion in wealth just here in the United States that's going to be passed on to the younger generations. And I think it's crucial today just to kind of talk about you're with your loved ones. These are probably the people that are going to be getting this money. You might be on your way in the car now to, to go for that Christmas Eve dinner. Uh, I think it's important that we discuss a little bit about some ways that we can do this without creating a ton of tax for you and some of the best practices that Mike and I have seen in the industry. So stay tuned. Uh, right after this break, we will come back and discuss a little bit more of the tips and tricks that we have for you. We'll be right back. 
Honestly, when was the last time you really took a hard look at your retirement plan? With the market the way it's been, it can be easy to become complacent. A new decade is upon us, which comes with a lot of questions. Can the economy and the market continue to grow? What will the next election do to my investments? Is it time to sell my house before the market adjusts to downsize and take advantage of the equity? How can I best maneuver to maximize return? The answer is simple. It never hurts to get a second opinion from a team like Century Financial Consultants. With over 40 years of financial planning experience. Get a free income analysis from Century Financial Consultants today to see where you stand and if you're ready for any changes we may face in the coming year. Give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Prepare for an uncertain tomorrow so you can relax and enjoy today. Get a free income analysis from Century Financial Consultants by calling 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Century Financial Consultants, California license numbers 0L23991 and 0175 Hey guys, Mike Points here, co-host of your show, Smart Retirement Podcast. Are you aware that Social Security is going to run out in 2036? That's right. See you later. Bye-bye. No longer, unless the U.S. government does something different. Let my team of retirement planning professionals and myself show you ways that you can take control by using the equity in your home to offset this possible risk in retirement. Just simply call me by dialing 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE, option two. One minute to midnight, one minute to go, one minute to say goodbye before we say hello. Okay, listeners, we're back from the break. And again, a very happy holidays to all you and your loved ones. Um, We've got a great show lined up today, all about wealth transfer, um, what you should know about, what you should be afraid about, and what you should prepare for if you haven't already. And um, many of my clients realize that this is kind of an ongoing planning. Ain't that right, Matt? Yes, sir. I mean, you can't just set up the chessboard and forget it because life changes. Um, your life needs may change. How you access your your assets, your um, your cash, or how you play with your real estate, like Gloria mentioned in the beginning of our show, or our listener that wrote in a question, she's decided to to sell off that real estate and turn it all into cash before her and her husband pass away. So it's a bit easier for her children to split up, but. You know, much of wealth transfer has to do with these two main principles, which are the those transferring the wealth want to minimize the taxation that their heirs are going to um, encounter at the point in which they receive the wealth. And I also believe truly that uh, the second major goal is to put that wealth that you're transferring into an asset that's easy to receive and continue to, and to have that asset continue to build wealth. So, um, you know, what I see in my line of work, which is real estate banking all the time is I'll get a, a referral from a, uh, an estate attorney that says, Hey, we've got, um, you know, mom and dad have passed away and we're dealing with the proceeds now in the trust that have um, been passed on to the three children. Um, many times there's, uh, there's, uh, you know, let's say there's a, a million dollar 
value in the trust and it's split up in these ways. Usually there's about $50,000 in a checking account. That's very easy to split three ways. There's what's left over from mom and dad, what they didn't use during retirement, let's say $150,000 in a, let's just call it a Charles Schwab or Merrill Lynch account or any, any investment custodian is holding. Um, that's very easy, I would say, relatively easy to split three ways. But the remaining $800,000 of value in this trust is real property, real estate. And that is complicated to split. Um, I mean, you could sell it, put it on the market and sell it, um, pay the commissions. And um, Matt, I know you'll get into this in a little bit, but you'll pay some tax, um, maybe none. And then what you'll have to do is, you know, list the house, potentially clean out the house, have an estate sale, do all these things. So real estate is one of the more trickier assets that needs to be liquidated before the distribution of the trust assets can be settled amongst the heirs. Um, what I like, so that's kind of an introduction scenario that I commonly see. But what I wanted to have, I wanted to install in your your minds today, listeners, is that there's so many different ways to pass on wealth. But if you fall into this category where you've got a combination of, let's say, annuities, um, cash equivalent accounts, uh, IRAs, real estate. You know, there's no better time than right now to get a checkup on your plan and see what you're going to do, how you're going to minimize your taxation to the heirs and how you're going to put these assets in the proper position so that the heirs themselves can continue to build wealth on top of the wealth you build and also receive that wealth in, let's say, the most efficient manner. So, Mike, I want to stop you for just a sec. Um, I think it's crucial to discuss a little bit of estate planning 101 here, if we can, because, you know, the, the scenario you just painted out, even though the real estate might be a little tricky, we're also assuming that our smart retirees have a trust. So not being an attorney, I have one in my office and I hear horror stories all the time about this thing called probate. And these are one of those things that... You know, your parents may have outlined where they want these funds to go. Uh, sometimes when there's a bigger family, not everyone agrees on the ways that the parents wanted things to go. So if you're like some out there that, you know, your parents or if you're the parents listening, you haven't gone out and created a trust. Let's talk about that for a second, because if you've just got a will or nothing at all and a will really just being a letter to a probate judge, should it go to probate, uh, really has no legal standing, if you will. It can be contested at the time of your passing. And what happens is people can come out of the woodwork trying to contest the estate. Now the kids are having to go and go through different types of probate. And that's expensive. I mean, you're having to hire somebody to defend yourself if you're the kids in the probate court. You're having to pay the fees to go into the court. And you're also having to pay you know, the judge there. So that's a sticky situation. Whereas in Mike's scenario, you've got everything at a trust. And that's one of the things that I stress to all of my clients that have any type of assets is it's such a 
minimal thing in, in the scope of retirement for you to go out and create, and it does not have to be extremely expensive to do it, that it just makes all the sense in the world. You've, you've worked your butts off for the money, and you want to make sure that it's going where you intend it to go without it getting hung up in different courts. Take the time, sit down with an attorney. If you need a referral to one, reach out to us and I can get you one. But that in itself, I think is going to be one of the smartest things you can do when it comes to wealth transfer. Uh, Wouldn't you agree, Mike? I mean, yeah, I'm so glad you cut me off. I kind of, I kind of went speed race, speed racer there and put the the cart in front of the horse. Um, I, I wanted to jump right into a scenario because I guess that's the way my mind works. I'm more of a problem solver, but you're right. Taking the step back, the, the best way to plan this wealth transfer process out is to have your ducks in a row with an estate plan that puts you in position to pass these assets smoothly. I mean, right. Yeah. And so that, and, and many, and the, the way that conversation starts is they, the estate planner will ask a series of questions are going to challenge you to start considering what you would be really doing if you passed away tomorrow. Yeah. And I think the other thing with that, Mike, is uh, it's crucial to have a team of people kind of creating this wealth transfer plan, whether not just the estate planning attorney, your mortgage consultant, your financial advisor, all of these different, your CPA even, all of these people need to be involved in creating a fluid and uh, successful plan for you. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just go down to your banker. You put uh, payable upon death on those checking and savings accounts, and transfer upon death on the uh, uh, on the investment accounts, and then just do a beneficiary deed on the home. You know, all of those things, in a way, can be contested later on. It's not bulletproofing your estate plan, and also can still create a large taxation issue without proper planning. So, you know, it's one of the things that we stress on this show all the time is creating a plan and keeping up with your plan. And I think, Mike, you're going to talk a little bit about what's uh, the real estate aspect of this for a little bit. And then I'm going to jump into a couple ideas I've got. But um, I don't want to ramble on too much about this. But at the same time, I do want to just give everyone a little bit of basics 101 on what we're looking at when it comes to this. So sure. Yeah. I mean, I, again, the, the, the scenario that I mentioned, um, you know, the amounts of cash and an individual retirement account are, are relatively easy to split up three ways. The real estate portion, I see it handled in so many different ways. You know, first and foremost, you might just want to sell it and, and call it good. But when you have, three children or there are three beneficiaries, real estate gets handled and considered many different ways. Almost always one of the three children would rather accept the real estate in the form of liquid cash. And maybe it's because they're at this stage in their life, they're, they don't need cash. They don't need, um, they don't need those funds. They'd rather have a long holding asset. Many times I've seen it be something of, of emotional value. Like it's the house they grew up in um, and they want to continue to keep it. Um, sometimes these properties are not just rental properties, they're vacation homes. So it's the place where you go celebrate winter time with mom and dad when they were around. Um, but you know what you have to do, there's, there's some very important things you need to consider when you are the beneficiary that's going to 
um, take over that piece of real estate property. First and foremost, um, you know, if there's a loan on the property, you, you can't just assume the note that mom and dad had on the property. You can continue to make the payment um, and you can continue to appease the bank. Uh, you put yourself at a little bit of risk there because it's, the banks can determine that, that, that your parents are no longer with the living and they can call the note depending on how you're using the property. Uh, furthermore, you're not going to be on the mortgage. And so it's very difficult for you to claim the interest paid from the 1098 form that the lender sends to your parents when they were alive every year. Um, so it, there's just a lot of complications there to just take over and assume the note and just keep moving forward. Um, a lot of times I see, a lot of times I'll see because there's tenants in the property and everything's hunky dory and you know, the tenants didn't really know mom or dad anyways, cause you might have a property manager that these clients are calling me after they get, contacted by the initial or the, the current note holder or servicer that they need to get a refinance within 60 days. So you want to plan for that. Um, in order to take the property over, a lot of times people have to make sure that there's, they got to, they have to cash out the other siblings. I mean, that's really the speed bump we have to get over here. If um, brother one and, and brother two are waiting to get their $333,000, you know, their third of this million dollar estate, then there's not enough in that $50,000 checking account and $150,000 IRA. They need to be made whole and they, the trust will not be able to close out and settle until distributions have been made equal. So what you'll have to do if you're the sibling number three, that's going to keep the real estate property, you can use your personal assets to bring in, excuse me, that's not correct. You can only refinance the property and take cash out against the equity in the home. And through the close of that escrow, you would be paying out your two other siblings. So as you can see, you now have to qualify for a mortgage. You now have to present yourself in such a way that you can show the capacity to repay that mortgage. You're now going to have a higher payment on that property, albeit could be very worth it to you, especially if you've got tenants in place and the property is still cash flowing. But in order to um, make your siblings whole and close out and consummate the trust post death, you would have to get those funds um, equal on for all siblings across the board, at least if that's what the trust says. Now, if you go into probate, that's a whole nother ball of wax, which I don't think we should touch on on this show entirely because we can go down a rabbit hole, Matt. Absolutely. On the probate thing, I think I've got my attorney that has expressed some interest and wants to come on the podcast. So let's save that for a totally separate issue because I think we yeah. can take a whole episode just talking about probate. Quarter one, no problem. And of 2020. Um, but to close out what I'm talking about here, when real estate is a part of uh, the, the trust itself or just the wealth transfer that's coming your way, I would highly recommend that you contact me while mom and dad are still alive because right now the rates are historically low. We can put you and parents on the property now if that's if you're the sibling that knows you want the real estate and we can we can put a mortgage in place 
right now that has a lower rate for 30 years, maybe 15 years, whatever you'd like to do. And we can qualify you now. So that way, when mom and dad pass away, you would just continue to make the mortgage payment as one of the living borrowers. And you would be on the deed by way of the trust. So um, there's, there's so many ways in this wealth transferring game to plan ahead that seem like, oh, you know what? I'll do that next month. I've got today's problems to deal with. But the benefits have never been greater than they are right now. I'll walk you through the entire process of what your monthly payment would look like. If you wanted to access the cash now, I know that can be difficult because you don't know exactly what the the assets are going to be when mom pass away and the trust remaining. But I can put you in position to understand um, what your payments would be, um, what your responsibility would be, what you'd have to provide to be qualified for this mortgage. So I think it's a really smart idea to plan for um, real estate transferring of wealth right now because what happens after mom and dad pass away is that you get you only get the option of you qualifying to take out that cash or sell the house there are some hard money financing ways to solve this problem but i'd like to have one of our hard money lenders on the show in the first quarter of next year to talk in more depth about that because i think it's fascinating the way that the trust can finance some of these real estate transactions great idea so um, I hope I touched on some of that there, Matt. I'm sorry I jumped the gun and got right into the scenario. I'm glad you you reeled us back in with talking about the trust. Yeah, no, I think that was good. I think it gave the listeners an idea of where we were trying to go with it. it I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, wanted to try to explain some of the ins and outs there, as I said. Um, one of the other things that I, I do want to call our listeners' attention to as more of a, a tax standing is in Mike's scenario, let's say all three of you want to sell the home uh, I get asked this question all the time is, okay, we inherited mom and dad's house. You know, we're in, uh, we're in the Midwest and mom and dad have the house in Arizona. We have no interest in moving out to Arizona. We're just going to liquidate the property. We want, we want the money now. Um, but we're concerned on what type of tax scenario we're going to be looking at now that we're inheriting this property. So there's a couple of things there. Uh, when mom and dad pass away on the date of death, the cost basis of the home is going to be reflected and changed. So basically, like if mom and dad were living, they sold the home and they bought the house for $100,000 and it was worth $300,000, they've got two hundred grand in capital gains there, right? But let's say right. now mom and dad pass away, you inherited the home, uh, you get the value based upon when mom and dad pass away. Now- that might make the tax bite quite a bit less. But the other thing to look at there is if there are any gains whatsoever and you hold the property for 365 days or less, each one of you siblings will be taxed at whatever your tax break bracket is and it will be taxed as ordinary income. Uh, so if you can, and there is a large gain in this property, it might take a while to sell the property hold it to 366 days or longer. That's going to be one of my CPA's best tips for you there. Because what ends up happening is if you're currently in the lower two tax brackets, the capital gain on that's taxed at only 5% of the gain. And if you're at the higher brackets, uh, you know, the 25% or is an up, you're going to be at 
the 15, you'll be the at a long term bracket, yeah, right? So it makes all the sense in the world if you can hold that property a little bit longer, take advantage of having um, you know a little bit lower tax there if there is going to be a major uh, capital gain there. Again, with a step up in basis, there, there very well could be very little to no uh, tax bite for when you when you all sell the property. So I just wanted to mention that just so everyone's clear. So, Dynamite. Yeah. Dynamite. You know, there's there's also recurring tax implications when you're that sibling that holds the property and takes it over. So typically what happens is a conventional lender, and when I say conventional, I'm talking about a lender that's going to make you fill out an application, qualify based on your merits of current income, your credit score, um, you know, maybe what your assets are and, and your personal balance sheet um, versus a hard money lender that's just going to look at the equity in the property. And if they like the property, they're ready to do the loan. Um, but a conventional lender is going to make you convert your name on title from the trust, mom and dad's trust, or, you know, if it's in mom and dad's name, just personal name to your name or your trust, um, as the, the new owner at that point in time, you've now triggered the municipality office in your county that does tax assessments and they will have a file for your new wealth as the owner of that property. They will reassess the taxes probably takes about anywhere from four to eight months. You know, these municipality offices are not very big and so they've got to catch up. Once they get to your file, they'll reassess the property taxes based on their estimate of the value of a home at the point in which you converted the trust. And that can hike up your property taxes quite a bit, depending on how long mom and dad have owned that property. Um, in this show, we're going to have in quarter one, when I have the hard money lender, and um, I'm sure I even will touch on this when we have the estate planner in, on for our show in the first quarter, Matt, of how to get around that loophole. So there's a way to really have the trust fund the transaction itself, and then the counties themselves will will allow you to not have a reassessment. So something that's very important, uh, both at a state level and a local level, but that would be the reoccurring tax burden as well as you move on. So, you know, you've paid your siblings, here you are owning this house, you and your life partner, or just you yourself. And then all of a sudden, six months later, you get this reassessed new tax bill that comes in that, that becomes a new part of your housing expense on this asset you now hold as real estate can be a problem. Absolutely. And you, you just wouldn't know. It'd be way too late. After the transaction, you can't go back and schedule a meeting with the, the county tax assessor. It's it's done. So I think our point earlier of planning ahead and having that not so comfortable conversation uh, with your kids or with mom and dad now, I think is extremely important. And you know, maybe not just do it as the family. Have your financial advisor, CPA, mortgage consultant, uh, all involved in this again to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Wouldn't you agree, Mike? I think that's really smart. So with that, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back and discuss a little bit more about this. I just want to get a minute in for our sponsors. So be right back. Stay tuned.
Hey guys, Mike Points, co-host of Smart Retirement Podcast and a licensed loan officer. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you sat down with your mortgage officer to discuss how your mortgage is going to affect you during retirement or how the current products and laws out there now are different from when you originally got your mortgage? Allow my team of retirement specialists and myself to put together a proposal for you that shows all of the different products and options you have right now. This is something we can implement in the next one to two months that helps you improve your current situation. If you're not able to remove your mortgage payment with your current mortgage, if you're not able to tap into the liquidity, and if you're not able to prepare better for healthcare costs, I want to show you how we can do that. So please contact me by calling 866-53-RETIRE, option two. Once again, that's 866-53-RETIRE, option two, or contact me at info at smartretirementcast.com. Look forward to hearing from you soon. And MLS number 1246224. Honestly, when was the last time you really took a hard look at your retirement plan? With the way the market's been, it's easy to become complacent. A new decade is upon us, which comes with a lot of questions. Can the economy and market continue to grow? What will the next election do to my investments? How can I best maneuver to maximize return? The answer? It's simple. Get a second opinion from a team like Century Financial Consultants. With over 40 years of financial planning experience, give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Welcome back, listeners, for our final segment of today's Smart Retirement Podcast. Uh, also, our last show, Mike, of 2019. Isn't that crazy? Yowza. <laughs> so before the break, Mike and I were discussing some ideas and tips, tricks, I guess we could say, about a little thing, maybe not so little, called wealth transfer. And wealth transfer, again really is the act of trying to move assets from your parents or whoever the owner of these accounts were and you were listed as a beneficiary, making sure that it's getting passed on to these beneficiaries in really a tax-efficient manner, but also uh, legal-wise, making sure that it passes without any hiccups as well. So, And then one of the things uh, I had touched on earlier was utilizing insurance in this. And I think Mike did a great job at the beginning uh, talking about really one of the biggest assets that we run into in this wealth transfer uh, process is really the real estate. You know, as the financial advisor, when I come in, normally uh, mom and dad, they've got quite a bit of retirement assets. They've also got the home, their IRA, their 401k, and their home usually is, are pretty similar. Now, when we get towards that end of life, you know, they've spent down that IRA, they've spent down the 401k. Now that house is probably paid off, if not really close to being paid off. And has hopefully accumulated quite a bit, you know, especially if this is the home mom and dad have lived in for 30 plus years, right, Mike? So. Absolutely. Yep. It's a simple formula, you know, assets minus liabilities equal equity. And right. when you get older, you pay off your debt. It's just natural. Either through time or through diligence, 
And um, as we know, the, the key, the key in retirement is income. And so those assets that are liquid start to deplete. So yeah. it's, it's just, it just makes a ton of sense that the real estate is a big part of the leftover remaining wealth. Um, unless you've done a really, really good job and, um, you know, saved a ton right. and, or, or you have like, you know, these pension accounts that no longer exist. Yeah. Those are, those are kind of a thing of the past, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to touch on is with wealth transfer, you're, the parents are usually wanting to move the money really at the lowest possible rate of taxation. And they want the money to be growing at the highest rate of interest possible, right? Um, I think that's simply what we all want in any type of retirement plan, whether it be for wealth transfer or not. Um, so I think minimizing taxes, having a decent rate of return, these are all important things. So what types of accounts can we be looking for with this? Let's say you've got the sum of money that's set aside for your kids or whoever your beneficiaries are. And there's a couple of things you're looking at. You don't want to be paying tax on the funds as they're growing now. So if they're outside of an IRA, you know, mutual funds, uh, CDs, things like that, that are generating a 1099 every year, uh, those are probably stuff you want to stay away from, right? So then the thought is, okay, there's things that are out there like a single premium life insurance policy. And I touched on that a little bit earlier in the show, but, you know, with these types of policies, most people think, okay, well, insurance. I'm too old for insurance. There's no reason for this anymore. And I think that's a common myth when it, we're really looking at wealth transfer and building a retirement plan. Because if you've got this, these funds already earmarked for the kids, you don't need a ton of liquidity, but do have access to them should you need it. I think insurance can be a, a great way to go about it. And depending on your age and your income and your current net worth, you might not even have to go through any type of medical exams to be able to qualify for these things. You might have to do an interview over the phone with a, an underwriter. Uh, but the, the days of the past, uh, past of having to have someone come into the house or you go to a doctor's office and you get pricked with the needle and you know they, they do the blood tests and all that, all that's kind of gone. Uh, we're in the 21st century now that everything's electronic, right, Mike? <laughs> so Yeah. For sure. You know, so any prescriptions you're taking, anything that's in your health stuff is is available through what's called the MIB or the Medi Medical Information Bureau. And it's almost like your social security number, but uh, for credit, but this is really for your health profile. So these insurance companies can access that. Uh, you know, I have clients that are like, well, I can't qualify that. I, I, I had cancer. And I'm like, no, you can as long as the cancer was at least 10 years ago. So this is a prudent conversation you should be having either with me or with your financial advisor and seeing if it makes sense. Because if we can take the funds now and have a guarantee on them to know exactly what they're going to grow at and exactly what they're going to be worth when they go on to your beneficiaries and they're tax-free to your beneficiaries, uh, we've checked all the boxes, right? You so know, Mike... Go ahead. I was, was going to say, so you have, so the funds, a single premium life insurance policy would allow um, the consumer to pick a certain death benefit. So do some type of forecasting and project what the tax implication may be, or maybe what the liquidity of the trust needs to be. Like, for example, let's say I have 
I have $250,000 in my, in my, um, IRA account. Right. And I have to, I'm, I'm already 70. So I've got the required minimum distribution thing going on. Plus I know I'm going to start using this thing more heavily as I, as I get older. Um, but I don't, I don't want to feel bad because I, I dwindle that down so I could just replace that or I could focus on maybe just what the tax implication is going to be of passing this wealth. Right. Yep. Yep. And I think with single premium life, uh, I don't think I know these things were designed for exactly what we're talking about today, Mike, this wealth transfer, they were designed as the ideal wealth transfer product. You know, in addition to the death benefit, being several times higher than your actual single premium that you put in, you know, people were like, okay, well, we might need these funds, right? We've got an earmark for the kids, but we don't know. We might need it if, in case we get sick, right? Uh, that's where these things are great. They've started building in uh, accelerated riders inside of them. What I mean by that is it's an addition to the product that basically says, listen, if you need these funds for your own health care, you can actually tap into the death benefit while you're still living before it goes to your heirs to help pay for long-term care costs, for instance. You know, so that's where I think it really, really can be crucial. Um, before the While we were at the break, Mike, you and I were talking a little bit about a, an interesting concept of, you know, the let's say the heirs know that there's going to be a large tax consequence when they inherit their, their parents' uh, funds. Right. So what better way to set up? Maybe you have the conversation with mom and dad that you as the heirs go out and pull one of these life policies. Maybe it's not a single premium. Maybe you do something where you're paying in on an annual basis, uh, but you have leverage on your funds now. So you already know you're going to have that tax bite in 10, 15, maybe 20 years. But go ahead and get one of these life insurance policies in place. So when that tax bite comes in, you've already funded that and then some to reimburse yourself and the estate from all that tax. So let me make sure I understand you. So you're saying like, for example, someone that's my age, that's that's soon to benefit, let's say in the next 15 years from my dad passing wealth. I'm in my early 40s, and I'm at the uh, hopefully hopefully not at the peak, but I'm at the higher part of my income earning years, and sure. so therefore I have a higher tax burden when I receive this wealth. You're saying I could forecast, you know, what approximately what my tax burden would be, and then just try to offset that or hedge against the tax burden by getting this life insurance policy on mom or dad. Exactly. Wow, that's a great concept. I mean, what's cool about that is that, you know, you don't really lose in that battle because even if mom and dad deplete the assets more over time, when they do pass away, you would receive the life insurance death benefit, yep. right? And if it's set up properly, that death benefit can be growing with the market without any risk inside of it as well. Could mom or dad as the insureds access the fund if I'm the policy owner or is that where it gets complicated? It's not necessarily where it gets complicated. Keep in mind, it's insured on their life. So that accelerated long-term care benefit, you're essentially gifting them uh, the ability to tap into that at some point to where they could use it for long-term care benefits. So, so the insured gets the benefit other correct. than the death benefit, right? Correct. That goes to the beneficiary. Correct. Correct. That is pretty neat. 
That and on the other neat. thing I want to I want to mention on life insurance and their kind of stepchild sibling would be the uh, an annuity, for instance. Um, all of these things are set up in such a way where they will 100% avoid any type of probate. So that's the other thing to be kind of looking at as well is without the trust, without any of that stuff, whatever mom and dad put as the beneficiary on these type of policies is set in stone. I mean, yes, they can change them while they're living. Yeah. So it's revocable in that aspect, but it, it can't be contested when mom and dad are gone where they've said it is where it's going. So I think that's important to kind of focus on too. Uh, a lot of our, my clients at least have annuities and they're like, okay, well the money that's in the annuity, I think is going to be a great way to, go ahead and give the money to the kids. What they don't understand is maybe they've held this annuity for 10 to 15 years and it's really just a ticking time bomb because what's happening is all the interest that's growing inside the annuity is just being rolled over every year, right? It's tax deferred. So now when you inherit the funds, you are limited on options. Sometimes, depending on how the contract's set up, you may be able to just continue the annuity. But a lot of the times they're set up in such a way where either you're going to take a lump sum, you're going to take a lifetime income over your life, or you're going to take be forced to take payments over a five-year period if you want that enhanced death benefit that some of these new, newer annuities are coming out with. So now over a period of five years, you've got to pay all this tax on it. So one of the other things that I've stressed to some of my clients is do this. Some of these annuities have income riders on them that you're not using. And you've paid all these years for the fees for the riders, and you just haven't gotten rid of them. Well, activate that rider and take the annual payment that can come out of that annuity and fund a life insurance policy with it. Because now you've got even more leverage on your own funds, and it will help fund and pay the taxes at a later date. So when you take the income, great, great idea. Great tip, Matt. When you take the income from that annuity by executing or yeah, exercising, excuse me, the mm -hmm. writer, yeah. would that be a combination of principal and interest or would that, yes. so, so it's not fully taxable, but a portion of it is taxable. Correct. Okay. But keep That's in mind nice though, because most of it is principal. It is, but the problem with annuities, and I don't want to say if it's a problem, but the, the tax burden with annuities yeah. or challenge is unlike a typical investment, whereas you start taking money out, you take your principal and then it's interest, it's the opposite. So uh, okay. a, an annuity is taxed at, at LIFO, which means last in, first out. So as you start withdrawing these funds, 100% of what you're taking out is going to be ordinary income because it's all gains until you get down to the original principal. Okay. So, okay. Even so, you'd be taxed at a lower tax bracket than your son, daughter, or, or beneficiary, most likely. More than likely. Right. So if you're at a 15% tax bracket and your son or daughter are at 35, you know, and you know that they're 45, 50 years old and, and you know, you... I'm not trying to say pick the day you die, but if you know you're not going to live much longer than 10, 15 more years, you're, it's smart to do what you're suggesting because you would just pay a lower tax. You would be saving money and then ensuring them a tax-free benefit on the back end. Right. You know, so now they're, they're inheriting the funds tax-free. Uh, let's say you pass away, you've got that life insurance policy and you've been paying it into it for three or four years. You know, life insurance isn't based upon 
how many payments you've made into it. If you buy a $200,000 benefit and you pass away after the first year, you won. The insurance company lost, right? Yeah, I guess that's a win. <laughs> so we I mean, would call that one a win in the industry. But then with the annuity, let's say you turned on the income rider on it and you've taken money out of it for the year. Just because you started taking income doesn't mean the annuity has gone either. So what's going to happen is whatever's in that account, less what you've taken out still is going to go to the beneficiary. And now on top of it, they've got this great life insurance policy that you've taken out or they've taken out on you where they're going to benefit on that as well. So we've almost, in a way, in this scenario, almost doubled what maybe they would have received. So how do those two products differ from just keeping my money in the market and having an IRA? You know, if I just have an IRA, don't they get access to it, Matt? Sure. But, you know, with the, I think that's going to come down to, like our last episode is talking about market risk, market right? So yep. the volatility of the market, and let's say mom and dad pass away in a 2008 era, right? So we've totally diminished the value of the account by 30, 40% just because mom and dad passed away at the wrong time in the market, Yeah, right? Whereas with the, some types of annuities, like the index products that I've utilized, uh, you know, the, the gains are locked in with that annual reset that we talked about in the last show. And then with life insurance, yeah. you know exactly what the benefit's gonna be. It's not going to change. Uh, unless mom and dad take money out of the policy, the death benefit's set in stone, right? So I think if we're trying to Sorry. bulletproof a, an, a, an estate plan or a, a wealth transfer plan, I think that's extremely important too. Um, one of the other things I want to touch on real quick, Mike, if it's all right, is when mom and dad pass away, Mike, what form or document are the beneficiaries going to need to access the funds? A certificate of death. Right. They're going to need a death certificate. And a death certificate, depending on where you live, usually take six to eight weeks to receive. Mm. Okay. Now, with that, let's say there's funeral expenses mom and dad need to take care of. And kind of going back to a, almost a final expense topic here. Well, you said mom and dad. You mean you, right? Well, I mean, mom and dad didn't. Yeah, exactly. You need to take care of if mom and dad haven't taken care of it previously. So let's say they're not as fortunate as some and the kids really, really need the funds right now, right? They can't float that six to eight weeks. What are they going to do, right? So I, I've mentioned this in a couple of our past episodes, but there are products out there now similar to life insurance where mom and dad can go ahead and earmark you know, 20, 25 grand into a policy that Right when mom and dad die, the kids now have access to those funds within 24 to 48 hours, right? I think that's extremely prudent because wow. if the bank finds out the investment company, right, if the bank finds out investment company, insurance companies, whatever, find out that mom and dad are gone, they're going to freeze up those funds until you get the death certificate to them, right? They have to. And that, right. And then we've got the, the concern of, well, mom and dad have got me on the bank account, so I can go in there and just grab it, right? Yeah. There's so many legal issues. DOD, you see right here where it says paid on death? Right. Yeah. But with that, I mean, if the bank finds out that they're dead or gone, that's, that, that's out of the question. The bank's going to lock up the funds now until they have their death certificate, right? Yeah. What I was referring to is more of having the kids on as a joint owner 
on the policy, right? And I see so many of my uh, clients when they first come into the office, they, they've got it set up like this. And this is one of the first things that if they're going to work with me, we're changing because there's so many liabilities to that. Let's say your kid goes out and gets in a car accident and gets sued. Your asset's now their asset, right? Yeah. So different ways Good to point. go about that. I do want to talk about final expense a little bit more, probably in a show uh, next year. Uh, if they, yeah. You know? I mean, if you need to sprinkle it in now, it seems prudent, but you be the yeah, judge. No, I, th- no, I think uh, I've said enough on it is in that conversation of wealth transfer, I think usual, utilizing some type of beneficiary liquidity plan mm-hmm. that I can put together for you, I think is a great idea as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, listeners, for any of you that have questions on anything that we've talked about today, you want to dive in a little bit further into a personal scenario, feel free to reach out to Mike and I directly, 866-53-RETIRE. And that's 866-53-RETIRE. Um, what I'll do for our listeners is kind of our holiday gift, if you will, is if you call in and you're interested in a single premium life insurance policy for you and your heirs, I'll be happy at no cost to you to run a complimentary report and show you the top five carriers that are available out there and run that quote for you at absolutely no cost. So. Cool. With that, Mike, you have anything else you'd like to add? The Grand Tetons are in Wyoming. Thank you, sir. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to say yes, but I didn't want to uh, uh, educate our smart retiree yeah. listeners in incorrectly. So, Excellent. Well, um, happy holidays to everyone. We really appreciate your involvement, and we're looking forward to 2020. Yeah, so I guess uh, along with uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and happy Hanukkah, we should also say uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year. That's right. (laughs) So rolling into 2020. Uh, Listeners, let's go out and make 2020 the best year for your retirement. And let's go out and make the rest of our lives the best of our lives. Thanks for listening today. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or construed as providing specific investment advice. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. California license number 0175638 and MLS number 1246224. to say Happy New Year